We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. The Shaolin and the Wu-Tang could be dangerous. Yes, my lord. He slammed his bat down in frustration. Like, are you really hitting me for that? Right. Like, you want it. Like, you want me to be, you want me to do a dirty slide? I'll show you a dirty slide. That was not a dirty slide. Well, he even said that at second base when he, he took a, he, he was taken aback when Brock Holt said something to him. Like, are you serious? You thought that was dirty? Little man, I will take you out next time. I mean, this is, this could get ugly. You want me to do this? We can do this. It's stupid. I, I, I really, I can't get, I can't see how people think that that was a dirty slide. Really. The baseball has gotten soft because the amount of people have, have, that I've seen, and there's been a lot that actually think that was a dirty slide. I, I, I was shocked. 
we are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 223. We're recording late night Wednesday after that game. That one will get the blood pumping, huh, Scott? We finally got the brawl we've been asking for. It was, uh, it, it was, it wasn't the greatest brawl in the world as far as, far as uh, baseball brawls. But you know what? It did the job. It did exactly what it needed to do. Tyler Austin, thank you so much for defending some. Uh, it was a ridiculous. It was a ridiculous move by Kelly because the slide in the first place was. Fine. There was nothing wrong with the slide. His pinky toe touched his leg. It brushed him. <laughs> Maybe I'm not even sure if it made contact with the, his actual leg. Maybe just the jersey. And Brock Holt and his little Hansel and Gretel hair went and cried to everybody and said, "You got you got to hit him now. You got to hit him now." It was stupid. So yeah, he, they deserved uh, they deserved to get charged. That it was it was beautiful. You angry? You a little angry? It was, it was annoying. I, I can't. I can't handle how soft uh, this whole thing has gotten. I think uh, what has it been a common theme on this podcast uh, for the last two, three years is the Yankees and Red Sox rivalry is soft and it needs to get heated again. And we, uh, when, when was the Chase Headley thing where he kind of charged the mound? <laughs> that on, that um, was not a charge. That Porcello was, a, was that last year, two years ago, whatever it was. That, that was. was a, that was child's play compared to tonight. You say it wasn't a good brawl. I thought it was pretty damn good. Austin showing some fire, slamming his bat down. And I've never really seen a player kind of question if I'm going to charge the mound or not. Usually if they pause, they they think better of it. And they say, okay, I'm not going to charge the mound. But Austin paused, looked at Joe Kelly, and then he was like, this all guy, right, yeah. let's do this. <laughs> yeah, let's F, go, baby. Yeah, F this guy and his stupid glasses. I'm coming at him. This guy thinks he's somebody. No, it was beautiful. It was He, he adjusted the dip in his lip. Moved it, tuck, <laughs> he just tucked it in there a little bit extra so it wouldn't go anywhere and you wouldn't swallow it because that would be uh, a casualty of, uh, uh, of one of these charging the mound. It's a, not something you want. So he did what he had to do, and then went in. It was beautiful, and he got up like he slipped at one point. Got up, uh, and then took advantage of the situation. He you could threw see a haymaker. Some, he was throwing punches. Yeah, he yeah. He's getting. We'll get into everything. We'll break down the brawl, and you know, thank thank God. I was thinking, thank God there was only two games since the last time we recorded because in two games we saw an ugly ass blowout, and then we saw a, a crazy game that was like three games in one tonight on Wednesday. So yeah. good thing all we have is two games to talk about. I'm just glad we won the game that there was a fight in. That's yes. Uh, now looking back now at these two games, like good, give us our blowout. That's fine. oh, Whatever. totally, totally. But we won I, the we won the one that mattered at, at this point. I said last night after the blowout that a uh, 14 to one loss. I get over that in two seconds. I'm still pissed out off about the Baltimore extra inning losses. So you get blown out. Shit happens. You just don't play well. But if they had lost tonight, if if they did not tack on runs after Tanaka coughed up a big portion of the lead, or if what if if that shit in the ninth inning with Chapman got extra messy and they blew that game, this would have been absolutely devastating. I go back to. Um, 2004. Do you remember the the Tanyan Sturtz brawl? Oh yes. Um, yeah, I was at that game with my dad, and that was a game that Mariano Rivera blew in the ninth inning. It was Bill Miller who hit the walk off against him. I vividly remember walking out of Fenway, and my dad looked at me and said, "That is going to light a fire under the Red Sox." And then we all know what happened from then. So, if you brawl 
and then you blow a lead, that can be devastating. So you are absolutely right. Thank God it worked out where the Yankees won on Wednesday night, and now they have the momentum going with Sonny Gray on the mound, and they can win this series, and they can erase a lot of the the crummy memories from a Baltimore series. Yeah, that's it. I mean, tomorrow now is is becoming not not to say that it's a huge game in the grand scheme of things, but it, uh, as far as momentum and just just now this this rivalry actually does have some heat because it, when you have the players on the field that don't like each other, the fans already don't like each other. But when the when the players on the field don't like each other, it all comes together. It makes you hate everybody that much more. The fans really hate each other at that point because now your boys hate uh, their guys. And it makes this thing a real thing because when there's tension on the field, you can feel it while they're playing. And that's what makes this thing beautiful. And so when it, there's tension, this was needed. Oh, hell yeah. And when there's tension, every game of the Yankees and Red Sox matter. You want to win every single one of them. So. So I'm with you on that. But uh, quickly before we get into everything, just want to remind people that the the event tickets for May 26th, that's against the Angels. Everyone uh, is overreacting to a, a good week by Otani, saying he's going to not only win the Rookie of the Year, but he's also going to be the MVP and the Cy Young. He's just going to win all the awards. Yeah, hopefully Babe Ruth, we get, Babe Ruth right there. Uh, <laughs> hopefully we get an Otani game on that Saturday, either pitching or hitting. But that's a Saturday night game, 7 p.m. We're going to be doing the pregame at the Bronx Brewery. Uh, with your ticket, you get a T-shirt and a free beer at the brewery, plus uh, plus the pregame there. I know, Scott, you're working on getting a food truck, so that's going to be a really fun event. Yeah, there will be a food truck there. The uh, the T-shirt is going to be a custom shirt for the event, and then uh, one of the uh, a pint of beer, 16-ounce pint, is, uh, is included in your ticket, and then we have uh, drink specials at the brewery itself. So going to be a blast. It's going to be a lot of fun. We've already sold over 100 tickets, and we're not even a month out yet, so... Um, again, get your group. Uh, I gave this deal last time. This is for the May 26th event. If you are the, the, the captain, the organizer of a, a group of 10 people or more, your ticket is on the house. Just shoot me an email and we'll hook it up. Um, if you, if you get a group of five or more, your ticket is half price. And, uh, again, just shoot us an email and we'll hook it up. Uh, but yeah, we're just, we want, uh, people to get their friends together and let's do this. It's more fun when we have big groups like that. So, um, I'm looking forward to it. Yes, uh, and coming up the back half of this episode, Scott, you spoke with Donnie Collins. He covers the Rail Riders for the Scranton Times Tribune. Donnie's been on the podcast a few times, and I'm sure we'll be on the podcast later this season just for our our uh, every every uh, periodic Rail Riders update. Yeah, it was good. We we talked uh, just basically about all the things that are happening down there. Um, you know, a good amount about Glaber Torres and where he's playing and where he's comfortable and and kind of what. Uh, what the, one of the interesting things that that I was asking Donnie and we were talking about is um, so you know how we had in the beginning of the year all this outfield depth. Uh, what, what's that looking <laughs> like now, that. and what's a, what does Scranton look like as far as outfield? So that he gave he gave me an interesting answer as far as what he thinks the depth is currently. So uh, nice. yeah, good stuff. Um, so as I said, uh, I'm hoping that the 14 to one drubbing woke the Yankees up. You have to, when you get your teeth kicked in like that, the only thing, you can go one of two ways. You can put your tail between your legs and you can go cry and you can roll over or you can look yourself in the mirror and say, this shit needs to stop right now. We are a better team than the way we are playing. It doesn't matter if we have a couple guys injured. We still have plenty of firepower in this lineup. Let's wake the hell up. And it seems at least after one game and the brawl it might even help even more. 
but it seems they came out, the bats were on fire in the first inning, and that's what I loved after they got beat like they did on Tuesday. Yeah, it was a bad loss. It was a, a bad loss all around. I mean, when you when you look at it from the beginning of the game, Severino was terrible. Um, you know, he he got got into the fifth inning. It was uh, just it was a bad situation. Um, there were a couple positives in the sense that it seemed like uh, Stanton was starting to get uh, glimpses of his swing back in that game. I mean, you saw uh, what he did. Aaron Judge was uh, kind of got the monkey off of his back with uh, facing Sale. So there were there were a couple positives, but really not very many in the grand scheme. It was an ass kicking. It was a it was a, a good old fashioned ass whooping on that one. Um, but yeah, I, I think it did fire them up a little bit. You know, Th- this is something that you got to look in the mirror and be like, this is not who we are. This team is not that much better than we are. And you know, they came out firing today. And this brawl could definitely unify them. Like oh, we thought, for sure. Like we thought the Detroit brawl last season unified the team. Yeah, and it hap- it's happening really early, which is a good thing too. You know, this is the- these are these are when you have a fight like this, uh, and-, and your whole team is is going out there, and uh, you know, you-, you get that that camaraderie. Just it just grows instantaneously. Um, it's going to happen for the Red Sox too, so that's why this is going to be a battle to the end of the year. Both we'll of these teams will look at that, and they will and they will push forward and probably uh, you know thrive off of it. Sometimes I think with brawls, uh, obviously you defend your teammates. The Red Sox are defending Joe Kelly and Brock Holt. The Yankees are defending Tyler Austin in this, in this instance. But there's got to be, uh, I think, to a man, if you get the truth out of some of those Red Sox players, once they see the replay yeah. on what happened on that slide. Brock, you're a little bitch. Exactly. They're saying, okay, it was a clean slide. Austin slid over the bag. There's the new slide rule where you have to be over the bag and you can't slide past it. They're trying to make the game safer, blah, blah, blah. He's, he was a clean slide. His spike was up, but I don't think Austin was trying to spike Brock Holt. I think that's just how he slid. And it happened to get Holt on the leg. And Holt took offense to it. I, I almost understand. You get a spike in the shin. You, you say a word or two. But that, that could have very easily been the end of it because if any Red Sox player, if Joe Kelly or anybody went in, into the clubhouse and looked at the actual play, they would have said, there was no intent there. It, let's just move on. But that's not what happened. No. And I mean, Joe Kelly's a little bitch in the first place. <laughs> let's, let's, that's, <laughs> he's, just, he's just like the perfect guy that had to do this because it's... Rex Specs, little bitch. Yeah. He's... Um, I mean, I got... Look, I got I got a lot of respect for people that wear Rex Specs, but his are like ski goggles. I don't I don't like those new age ones. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the Chris Sabo old school Rex Specs. Those things are some thick ass plastic. But... The, uh, the the retaliation was dumb. It really was. And Austin should have taken offense to it because you know what? He didn't do a damn thing wrong. Like literally. I mean, this is the, what's so ridiculous is that these new rules that are in place is now creating a, 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 a an issue for where fans are like, oh my God, I've seen, I'm seeing so many people, even Yankees fans on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram comments saying it was a dirty slide. He should have done it. Are you insane? Are we watching the same game? What are you saying? How could you possibly... It, like, how many years ago? Three years ago, you were able to slide at the guy's legs and touch the bag with your with your uh, finger, and it was fine. Oh, yeah. You, and it, I mean, who gives you, a shit? There was... I just... I remember from from 10 years ago, just some ridiculous slides where the guy's not even in the same stratosphere yeah. as the bag trying to, trying to take somebody out. I was out. taught like, that when I'm, when I'm playing baseball. That's what I'm taught. Take the guy out. And, and it's a new rule. They even replayed the, the play to see if it was an illegal slide. They would have called the double play. And the replay didn't, didn't 
overturn it. So that could have been the end of it right there too. Well, it, it was that was the reason it wasn't turned. I think they did call it uh, a sl- the slide was because you went through the bag. They would have if Brock Holt had made a throw to first base, they would have called a double play. You think so? Is that what they said? Yeah, they did because he didn't continue the play, so therefore it doesn't matter. He he made no attempt to go to first base. He he had the ball in his hand, so the, they they could have deemed that an illegal slide because he did slide over the bag as well. And I guess there was like you know a, a centimeter that was outside with the leg. It, whatever, it doesn't matter. You look at look at uh, dirty slides. It was not a dirty slide at all. It really wasn't. When you slide, sometimes your your feet pop up a little bit. And you get over it. You could tell Austin felt he was in the right. He slammed his bat down in frustration. Like, are you really hitting me for that? Right. Like, you you want it. Like, you want me to be, you want me to do a dirty slide? I'll show you a dirty slide. That was not a dirty slide. Well, he even said that at second base when he he took a, he he was taken aback when Brock Holt said something to him. Like, are you serious? You thought that was dirty? Little man, I will take you out next time. I mean, this is, this could get ugly. You want me to do this? We can do this. It's stupid. I, I, I really, I can't get, I can't see how people think that that was a dirty slide. Really. The baseball has gotten soft because the amount of people have, have, that I've seen, and there's been a lot that actually think that was a dirty slide. I, I, I was shocked. And then you could tell quickly the Red Sox all realize, oh, we're in over our heads in a brawl with the Yankees. Because first of all, you've got CeCe, who is fearless. He loves brawls. He's one of the first guys out there always. Oh, yeah. Also, just realizing that since he's on the DL, he's probably going to get in trouble. Since if you remember Clint Frazier getting in trouble for coming on the field during a brawl last season. But then you got Stanton and Judge just pushing the pile around like they're doing an NFL drill, pushing a little, pushing one of those carts. The Red Sox had no chance in that brawl. They got pushed back into their own dugout. Like here you go, yeah. go back into your little hole, little guys. It was ridiculous the amount of the amount of uh, massive human beings on the Yankee side. And don't forget, there's Dellen Batantis too, who's uh, who's taller than all of them. And you know the, they just got these massive human beings moving piles and it was it was beautiful uh judge had a uh, little bitch joe kelly and a headlock the whole, he literally could have ripped his head off if you want he better to. not get in trouble for that he he was playing peacemaker and right. i don't think judge i mean judge is so mild-mannered and so respectful i could never see him actually throwing a punch or anything like that so if he gets in trouble i, I think i'm gonna be pretty pissed about i that. don't think he will i mean it's pretty obvious that he was trying to maintain or just control things because he could have done something very easily if he yeah, wanted he's to. the bouncer at the bar that's yeah. just trying to ma- maintain all the drunk people yeah exactly did you see the um the the tweet that i sent out with the video of him faking the uh the yes. ball throw into the stands i'm not that. so nice guy anymore little, huh? little bit of a little bit of an edge there a little bit of an f you to the to the boston fans i love it um and then i i don't know if you if you noticed this but christian vasquez cl- clearly has been taking pointers from jason veritek because he actually put his mask back, back on. on i did see that on the to run out into it, the yeah. brawl so yep. that is just the biggest bitch move of all time. <laughs> At least Veritek never took his mask off. But Vasquez had his mask off and then decided to put it back on so he couldn't get hurt in the brawl. Like, he made a conscious decision. He's like, oh, this is happening. Mask back on. I saw yeah. that. Yes. There was, a, there was a complete thought process there. So I was, I was thinking bef- as the, before uh, Austin got hit, I was wondering if the Red Sox were going to retaliate. And I didn't think they were because it was starting to become a close game. Uh, but then I thought that there's no guarantees that the next time the Yankees and Red Sox play that Tyler Austin is on the team. And I think that's why they decided to to do it tonight. You think that was called from uh, 
uh, from the dugout or that was a Joe Kelly, I'm doing it? Because uh, there seemed to do, be I mean, some so- bad blood right there with uh, um, with the managers. They were they were jawing at each other. Cora, well, yeah, Phil Nevin, Phil Nevin got well, Nevin went nuts, but but Boone and Cora Boone were and definitely Cora. jawing at each other. I don't know. I think that in a situation like that, it's everyone is is involved. Maybe the manager doesn't doesn't say yes, go hit this guy, but I think that he's aware of the the decisions that are happening. Yeah. I mean, um, you'd be a bad manager if you're not aware of what your players. I mean, unless it's really done, you know, behind closed doors. But I'm pretty sure that Cora uh, was aware that was going to happen, and I would hope that Boone would be aware if something like that was going to happen in his own dugout. Yeah, no, for sure. I think it was. I mean, I think I think Cora. I think it was definitely uh, talked about and and basically said if you if you get an opportunity, yeah, hit him. And uh, just by seeing the way that Cora was acting afterwards, you could tell that there was like, you know, whatever we hit you. Yeah. What it was, it was, it was kind of one of those. He kept, he kept doing that like dismissive hand movements. I'm doing it. If nobody can see me right now, I'm doing the the dismissive hand movements to Aaron Boone and Boone started getting live a little bit. I thought he was going to get kicked out. I thought he was going to keep going on that, but um, uh, I guess he was just defending Nevin right there because they were, I think they were surprised that he got kicked out of the game. With Boone, like Boone almost needs a slap in the face just to wake up. I feel like he's he's going through the motions or something. Like there just doesn't seem to be any. There didn't seem to be any life in the team and any life in the manager before tonight. So hopefully this just wakes the whole thing up. Yeah, good. That's fine. You know what? It's still very early. Very of course early. it is. Of course very it's very early. early. So, but see, this that's also annoying because. I, I realize it's very early. No one is writing the Yankees off after 11 or 12 games. No one who has ever watched an ounce of baseball would ever do that. But just because it's April doesn't mean you can't be absolutely pissed off at the way the team was playing because it was very frustrating. No, that's there's nothing wrong with, with being upset and, and frustrated in the way that they play. But I'm talking about, I mean, specifically I'm talking about Boone in the sense that he's got to figure these things out and he's got to go through the motions in order to figure them out. He can't just like... flip a switch and then understand what it's like to manage for three months. You know what I mean? Like this is, these are all things that we're going to see. And and, and and it's, it circumvents the entire thing. It's like, he's got to, he's got to see what happens when his team brawls. He's got to see what happens when his team goes through a losing streak. He's got to see what happens when his team gets really hot. Like all these things are brand new to him. And I I think people forget that. Uh, And they're just out there criticizing him as the manager. And, and rightfully so he made decisions. I thought too, that were, you know, very questionable, but at the same time, like, uh, you know, the jury to me is out on, on him until I can see more stuff. Of course it is. But one of the questionable decisions I think you're alluding to is sitting Brett Gardner against Chris Sale, right? Yeah. I mean, you don't lead, you don't sit the leader of your team. One of the, the veteran leaders of your team, the, the longest tenured Yankee, uh, you know, against Chris Sale in the first series against the Red Sox, when they came out, smoking hot seven eight uh, and one eight and one and you're not going to put your best roster out there i don't give a shit it because unless you had somebody who was actually like a legitimate ball player that's not the case this was shane robinson (laughs) shane Shane robinson Robinson you sat him for because he's a right-handed bat sugar shane all because he's a right-handed bat there would be no other logical reason not that that was logical no it, it was asinine when i saw that lineup come out i always thought i almost thought i was being trolled uh Gardner was not playing, like you said, Shane Robinson, who they literally just picked up off the scrap heap, signed him to a major league contract and called him up, DFA Jace Peterson, just to get another right-handed bat in the lineup against Chris Sale. 
I understand Sale is filthy against lefties, but guess what? Sale is also filthy against righties. He embarrassed Jace Peterson. He Jace Peterson or not Jace, um, Shane Robinson. Shane Robinson swung at a ball that barely went fifty-five feet. That's how lost he was at the plate. I much rather have Brett Gardner facing Chris Sale than Shane Robinson. And yeah, uh, uh, Gardner's numbers were bad against Sale, but you know what? So are Aaron Judge's. And Judge went out there three for three off Sale with a moonshot home run. The I don't care the, about stats when it comes to when the decision is Brett Gardner or Shane Robinson. I don't give a crap about stats. Right, exactly. The other thing about if you're looking at the stats that they don't even tell the whole story on what Brett Gardner does. Brett Gardner plays great defense. Brett Gardner is uh, a leader in the clubhouse. Brett Gardner is uh, good on the base path. He works the count. Maybe maybe he doesn't have a, a great success rate against Chris Sale. But I guarantee he would have worked the count. I guarantee he would have gotten the pitch count up a little bit more than Shane Robinson would. He would have given him a good at-bat. Would have been able to give good information to his (laughs) his other players on what's coming. You think Sugar Shane Robinson's giving pitch, uh, you know, telling the guys what pitches are coming and how how it's spinning and what it looks like out of his hand? No. Brett Gardner would do that. Do you know what Sugar Shane Robinson was saying? Crap. I have to go to the major leagues for two days and face Chris Sale. It's pissing me off that he's wearing number 25. I don't know if that's pissing anybody else off. That's like a legitimate number. And it was uh, Giambi, Teixeira, Jim Abbott. Like that, it's the number I wore because of Jim Abbott. It's pissing me off that Shane Robinson's wearing it. And I want to rip it off his back. Mm. Sorry. I like it. I love it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't understand. It didn't matter. They lost 14 to one, but it's just a, a decision that I fundamentally disagree with on Boone. And he was on the Michael K show on uh, Tuesday before the game. They asked him about it. He said that it was, it's an extra rest day for Gardner because he played a lot over the weekend. Extra rest day, 10 days into the season. Are you kidding me? You had Monday off. I think if you were to ask Brett Gardner, he would want to be out there. And I also think it's important to say that if you were to give Chris Sale the decision on who he would rather face, he would rather face Shane Robinson than he would uh, Brett Gardner. So it's just a weird decision on on Boone's part. Yeah, I don't really understand it. But chalk it up. Chalk it up to, chalk uh, it up to new manager. One. Put it on the list. Put it on the list of, of decisions we don't understand so far to date. Here we are, April 11th. Uh, Tanaka, um, both starters, honestly, Severino and Tanaka, were terrible. Were bad. Uh, I guess let's start with with Severino because there was the whole, um, I don't want to call it a controversy uh, news that potentially he was tipping his pitches. Um, the ESPN broadcast, Rick Sudcliffe mentioned that he noticed Severino's hands when he's throwing a fastball were further away from his body than when he was throwing a slider. And the Red Sox were all over his slider. They hit 500 off of his slider um, in that start. If you look at the screenshots side by side, it's very, very subtle. I would think that the Red Sox would have to have eagle eyes to notice that when they're trying to prepare for a pitch. But hey, maybe maybe they are using maybe they're they're they've got some advanced technology with Apple watches, some Bluetooth technology telling them, oh, it's going to be a slider, it's going to be a fastball. Yeah, maybe they got those uh, Brian Roberts special contact lenses so they can see different things better. The um, yeah, I mean, when you look at the pictures of of what they're talking about, it, it looks like he was um when he, when he brings his hands together in the glove with the ball at his waist and he's about to deliver the pitch, knee up, going momentum towards home plate is is when they're saying his hands were away from his body a little bit more um, on the fastball than on the slider. So. 
I don't know. It, it seems like a very, very minuscule thing. And to me, it would be very difficult for the for the batter to pick that up, especially where they're saying it's happening. Um, so, you know, whether he was tipping his pitches or not, I, I personally don't think that was what it was. It could have been something else. Or we can we could go on to, to my train of thought in the sense that Severino just wasn't very good. Uh, he wasn't locating his pitches and they were hitting balls that were in the in the uh, strike zone because they were sitting on things because they, they noticed that he did not have his stuff. Yes. And that's what I think happened. I agree. I think that's probably uh, what happened. And after the game, Boone and Rothschild both downplayed the fact that he may have been tipping his pitches, but they didn't outright deny it. He, they, Boone basically said it's something that we're constantly monitoring. Is I think he was saying we're constantly monitoring if our pitch, pitchers are tipping pitches. Yeah, and that's fine, and they should. They should always be conscious of what they're doing and how they're doing it. There should be a guy that's watching this type of thing. Um, but I don't know. It doesn't. It, I'd have to watch the video again, like really closely. And again, it's so it's so minute of a of a thing. And I, I understand something very small can can definitely be something very big. But again, it has to happen at a time where it's where the the batter can also recognize. Uh, recognize it before the pitch comes. So I don't know. This seems to me that it, like it was uh, just too close to the delivery of the pitch and too too small. It's just really not much of a difference really at all. And I'm staring at a screenshot. <laughs> and and the, the rest of the bullpen that game was was also terrible. Um, Canely and Shreve came in and just the game blew wide open. Mookie Betts had like 25 home runs. Canely uh, I'm a little concerned with because he has not been good. He's the whole season, he's given up five earned runs and six and a third innings pitch, seven walks, which is really bad. That's but that's, that's the one that's at the concerning for me is and out, and out of character the walks. Yes, and we were having a discussion um, uh, amongst our, ourselves and Frank uh, today about his release speed and that all of his pitches, fastball, changeup, slider, he's his release speed on on all of those pitches is down so far this year. If you look at the previous two seasons, now that could be a number of different things. It could be a mechanical issue, which is I believe what what Canley is attributing it to. Could be a, a little bit of a dead arm. We've seen pitchers have dead arm either after spring training because their arm just isn't conditioned yet or in the middle of the season or whatever or whatever like that. But if he is losing velocity on his pitches, that could be why a he's walking more more guys and B is not getting swing, swings and misses. Yeah, it's um he, he's talking it up to a mechanical issue and it seems like we saw the guy in person. Looks, the guy looks like he's in good shape. Uh, I don't know what the arm, if it is a dead arm in the sense that you know maybe he didn't get enough pitching. Uh, maybe he didn't get enough innings in spring training. That could also be a thing. A lot of times these guys have to work their way up till um, they're at full strength as well. So um, you see this more often, I think, with, uh, with relief pitchers early in the season until they can get into their groove. But I don't know. I, I, I'm not concerned about it at this point because it doesn't seem like it's an injury. If it's a mechanical issue, like they say, that's something that can be fixed. And over repetition, bullpen sessions, uh, getting it right, it, it seems like it's something that can be fixed. So I'm not at a point right now where I'm concerned. It's just it's 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 glaring that there's something going on. And uh, if it's not an injury, then it's a mechanical issue, and I feel like that can be. That could be adjusted, but yeah, the walks. It's just you know. I mean, when he came over, he was I think what was he leading the the league in uh, strikes uh, strikeouts? I'm sorry, uh, walks per um, 
per batter. I mean, he was leading the league on. I think fields. I think what it was his his K to walk uh, K to walk uh, ratio was was the, one of the best in the league. Yeah, whatever it was, it was it was the fe- the dude didn't walk very many people and yeah um, and, and now struck he's out a ton guys. of people. Yeah, well, it, I think I mean the bullpen we st- I still think is going to be a strength of this team, but it has been a weakness of this team through two weeks in the season. Adam Warren has really struggled, as we just said. Tommy Canley has really struggled. Green. Um, had one one bad outing. We saw Robertson with the grand slam in in Toronto off uh, against Justin Smoke. Chapman has either looked unhittable or he puts guys on base. So we have not seen consistency out of this bullpen yet. Like I said, I'm still confident, not worried yet, but the bullpen has not been what we think it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, you look at two at different days though, and you see flashes of really good stuff. I mean, Robertson looked really good tonight. He looked, uh, in the eighth inning he pitched, um, he, he looked very good. Uh, Chad Green gave up a hit and then came back and, and shut them down. Um, and then Chapman today, yes, he did have a, his, uh, his control wasn't there, but he threw an unbelievable slider to Mookie Betts to strike him out um, yes. in the night. That was a great pitch. And, and he was, was a, not going to a fastball against Mookie. I, could, and it was a ballsy pitch. And you could tell that, I mean, Gary Sanchez was pumped up behind the plate on that particular pitch, too. It was a great pitch. Uh that's a do or die pitch, almost, no doubt. Because Absolutely. it's three two. If he doesn't swing, it's ball four, and you've got bases loaded, one out against Devers. Yep. Oh, it was it was an incredible pitch. It, it really was, and he executed it perfectly. Um, so we're seeing really good things, I think, from from these guys individually on separate occasions. It's just a matter of them putting it together. I think Kane Lee's probably the one guy that we need to see, uh, you know, pitch better. Um, with some consistency because he really just hasn't found it yet. But I think everybody else has at least found it in glimpses. Even Batantis has looked good occasionally. Or the last the last outing, he looked pretty good. And Tanaka is, I think, also a bit of a concern. He, he did have two good starts to start the season. And coming into tonight, he had 15 strikeouts and no walks, which is phenomenal. But there's been a trend with Tanaka since he came into the majors. In 2014, he threw a fastball 40% of the time. Then in 2015, it went down to 33%, then 32% the next season, 28% last year, and then so far this year, 21%. So you see the trend. It is going down. And if you look at his uh, his splitter and slider ratio, they're going up in the exact opposite direction. So he's he's replacing his fastball with splitters, splitters and sliders. And we saw that tonight. He did not throw many fastballs tonight. He was relying only on his split and his slider. He got away with it in innings two through four, but inning one and inning five, it was ugly. And it's glaring. When a pitcher has no fastball and won't throw it, hitters can just dig in and sit on sit on something. And it's it was a problem for Tanaka tonight. Well, you know, there's there's a couple of compounding issues here when you don't throw the fastball. One, the fastball is used to set up other pitches. So when you have a splitter sinker pitch and, and it's uh, coming out of your hand, the whole point of that is it's supposed to look like a fastball and and then die at the end so uh, every, so the the batter is swinging over top. When you're not throwing your fastball, they're just going to assume that that ball if it starts low, it's going to end low and they're not going to swing at it and that's what happened. He was he did uh, some guys were laying off of those pitches. If people if, if guys are laying off of his uh, his splitter and sinker, then he's certainly not as effective. And and yes, he has been known. It seems like he's done it uh, you know, over the past couple out- outings, definitely in the last one, he's gotten away with a couple hangers. Um, he's not going to get away with those anymore if he's not consistently 
mixing in that fastball to show that, yeah, this is, occasionally it's not going to drop. So you got to look out for both of them. I think it's important. And I know, I know this is an overwhelming uh, theme, though, when you look at the Yankees pitching staff as well. So part of this is, the, is, is kind of the Rothschild effect. You do see a lot more breaking stuff with, uh, with Rothschild's pitching staff. It's just one of his philosophies. Um, but he's, you got to show these pitches. If you can't show and prove that you're going to come, come out with a fastball and locate it, especially low in the zone for where Tanaka um, gets the most swings and misses, then they're not going to, you know, they're not going to respect the, the splitter because they're just going to let it drop off the table in that swing. Exactly. The Red Sox did not have to even concern themselves with a fastball tonight. And that's that's the problem. It's not not using it. I, I guess it's like chicken or the egg scenario. But what you were talking about with, with Rothschild's philosophy, Fangrass put an article up today talking about the Yankees being a very unique pitching staff because on the one hand, they, they have the hardest average velocity fastballs as a staff. They also throw fastballs the least amount in the league. So they have really good fastballs. They just you don't use them. They use them sparingly. Well, so. I, I think part of the reason is because this league has become such a fastball-hungry, uh, jump-on-a-fastball league. Everybody can hit a fastball no matter who you are. And people, and now the league is so used to these high 90, velo- you know, the, the big-time velocity guys, whereas you know, 5, 10 years ago, maybe not even 5 years ago, maybe 10 years ago, I, I don't even know anymore. But there, there was, you know, a handful of guys that could throw in the high 90s. Now, every team has a handful of guys that can throw in the high 90s. So you're not seeing that uniqueness anymore. But if you have a, a quality uh, breaking stuff to go off of that high 90s velocity, then you're a different guy. I mean, we see it with Batances. If Batances is, is locating a fastball, and oh, throwing it lights, for strikes. Forget about it. Lights the curveball's it's devastating. It's 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 the, one of the best pitchers in baseball. So it's a it's it's a, it's a very fine line with with throwing it and showing that you could throw it for strikes as well, um, and then not throwing it because it's got to be respected. And once it's respected, then everything is on the table, and you're a totally different at bat. Well, I think for Tanaka, it might just be he needs to start putting a little bit of a wrinkle on his fastball, whether that's some sink or some cut. I mean, look what CeCe's doing. He 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 throws a ton of cutters now, and it's what is it, what does he touch eighty nine miles an hour? So, but he still uses it. He still goes to it. I mean, Tanaka has enough velocity where he could still throw a fastball by you. It's it's not it's not like he's you know hitting the the high high eighties uh, low nineties. I I don't think he's there. Well, where yet. is it? We haven't seen it. It's, I think, it's 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 kind of to me like he's afraid of his four seam fastball. Well, I, unless you're saying he's hiding the fastball, he doesn't have the velocity on the fastball. I'm not seeing that. I, mean, I don't know if it so, doesn't have the velocity. He doesn't have the confidence in it. He doesn't have the confidence well, that he it's, can. It's obviously doesn't have the confidence. Yeah, and and that's a, that that is a problem when you don't have the confidence in a pitch like that in your fastball. Then yes, that's a problem. 100%. It's the exact. It's the exact. It's the exact same thing with with Batances. when when you don't when when he loses confidence in his fastball, hitters sit on the curveball. Doesn't matter how good your curveball is. A curveball is not an unhittable pitch if it's the if the batter knows it's coming. Right. A fastball can be an unhittable pitch even if the batter knows it's coming. No, it's it's effect, it's it's one of those pitches that has to set up the other stuff, especially with Tanaka because when Tanaka is good, he's low in the zone. And if you're only throwing sinkers and splitters low in the zone, then you're you're not going to fool anybody. You're just not going to fool anybody, and and they're going to lay off that pitch more times than not. Because they're going to expect that you're not throwing the fastball. Because you're not showing it. you got to show it. It's just like Severino, too. Severino's got to occasionally show that he throws that, that changeup. He, he doesn't have to throw it a lot. He just has to put it in the back of their minds that that changeup might come. 
And if that's the case, and he does that effectively, and he uh, you know he gets he wins that mental battle, then he's he's the leg up on, on the at bat, and it's the same thing with Tanaka on the fastball. Sonny Gray is going to get the start on Thursday. You uh, you're predicting 20 wins for him, so he's going to have to start racking up those wins pretty soon. Let's hope the first one comes on Thursday night. Big, one of the biggest starts of a, a non-playoff Yankees career for Sonny Gray on Thursday. Yeah, didn't he get a, didn't he get the win on Saturday? I think he did. Uh, the game we were at. I, mean, he I know did, we don't yeah, know 95 percent of the things that happened 20, in the game. But. He did. He did get the. I think. Yeah. I think. So, uh, na- so 19 to go. <laughs> 19 more to go. <laughs> it's like the it's like the wins against the Devil Rays. It's gonna we, be a, it's gonna be a race. Who can win more games? The Yankees against the Devil Rays or Sonny Gray? <laughs> Just the Devil Rays in general. <laughs> yeah, or the Devil Rays in general. Uh, or how we, many people come to the, go to their games? Did you see that the the 6, picture 000. of Chicago? Yeah, six thousand. Unbelievable. The, the I think that's still being generous at six thousand. Yeah, I th- I thought it was actually way under that, but yeah, yeah it was not a lot of people. Uh, I think we caused a little bit of controversy last time when we were talking about Sonny Gray pitching on uh, four days, short days, normal rest versus short days rest. So Sonny Gray, just quickly, let's just get this out of the way. Sonny Gray will be pitching on Thursday on four days rest. That is a lot of times considered normal in a five-man rotation. However, considering there's usually an off day every single week, a five-man rotation also pitches quite often on the sixth day. In fact, most Yankee pitchers pitched on the sixth day last season than they did on the fifth day. So whatever it is, when you want, if you want to call it short rest, if you want to call it normal rest, the fact of the matter is Sonny Gray's pitching on Thursday, and he has enough rest. <laughs> I think the whole, the whole conversation when you're talking about five-man rotations and, and the amount of rest, um, you could go on the internet and look at this and go down a really dark, deep rabbit hole. I suggest and I that did. You, I suggest I that you don't because it's really not fun. It's not that interesting. But at the same time, at the same time, it's. Uh, I think it's when you talk about it, if you don't use the right terms, because I think we confuse people. And I think I was when when you and I were talking about it, think we were both thinking about different things. Anyway, he would be moving up a rotation spot. That is a fact because CC is not going to be pitching, so Sonny Gray is moving up and pitching in his spot. It so happens that it's on a normal day rest according to the standard five man rotation. Head in circles, that's it. But yeah, he's going to be on normal rest, so I'm not going to crucify Boone. I'm that's- just picturing that Family Guy uh, clip. Who the hell cares? Yeah. Let's move on. Yankees are going to go to Detroit where they will throw either Sessa or Herman or a bullpen game against the trashy Detroit Tigers and Mike Fires. So the Yankees should beat up on Detroit. Detroit is not a team that is expected to compete this season. Yes, they still have Miguel Cabrera, but he's old. Their rotation is filled with uh, Fulmer and then Matthew Boyd, Francisco Liriano, Jordan Zimmerman, who's been terrible. Did you see what happened to him today, though? He's not going to pitch against the Yankees, most likely. He got hit in the face with a line drive. He walked off, but goddamn, he got hit right in the face with a line drive. It it looked bad. I I clearly did not see that (laughs) because I would have mentioned it. It looked looked pretty bad, but he actually walked off, um, so hopefully he's okay. But it was was not a good look. Yeah, but... but, um, just like the Yankees, we hope will beat up on the the Rays all season, and like they should have beaten up on the Orioles over the weekend. This is a team the Yankees need to go into Detroit and beat up on. Hundred percent. And now we don't need to fight them either, so that's good. We are, we got the fight out of the way with the Red Sox, which was even better. So we don't need to fight 
the Tigers anymore. And it seemed like every other day in spring training, the Yankees and Tigers were playing. So I think maybe the animosity now is gone. They just they they've buried the hatchet at this point. If you're so, Boone, you're definitely starting Roman in one of those games, right? A hundred percent. You have to. <laughs> you absolutely have to. And uh, you know, look, if if something were to happen. Um, it would be unfortunate, I think, because then we're going to be losing guys for no reason at this point. Because now we don't need a brawl to, to motivate the team and to you know, get these guys going. We already got that. And, and we would probably just lose guys to suspension for no good reason. Right. All right. Well, like we said, Donnie Collins is coming up. You had a conversation with him, so stay tuned for that. And um, any last words before we get out of here? No, hopefully they can build on it. That's, that's what we needed to see, right? We're going to look exactly. back at this and we're going to say, hey, this was a moment though early in the season, a pivotal moment that the Yankees collectively came together. Boone was anointed. We got him. He's, he's now the manager. He's seen some things. Let's do this. Let's start freaking winning some games here. And coming up for ne- for the Monday show, remember to submit your mailbag questions and also call the voicemail line. I have a feeling the voicemail line might be popping after that brawl tonight, so call it up. Let us know what you think. 646-480-0342. We'll catch you guys in a few days. About lead jets and coops, the way salt shoots and how to sell records like Snoop. I'm interrupted by a doorbell. 352. Who the hell is this? I get some quick. All right, I want to welcome on our guest, Mr. Donnie Collins, who is a writer for the Scranton Times Tribune. You can find Donnie on Twitter at Donnie Collins TT. Hey, Donnie, how you doing? How are you? Doing well. We're uh, we're getting this baseball thing, the, the season into swing. I know you guys are. What five six games into the season? So how's uh, how's things down in uh, Scranton with the Rail Riders so far? Yeah, it's, it's been cold, and it, it, it's tough to judge really so far how how things have been going. But the team's off to a really really great start. I mean, they uh, you know, opening night looks like it's it's going right to the to the crapper. I mean, they're they're down four to one, five to one, and the and the, and the it was five to one in the ninth inning, and out of nowhere, uh, Abby Avellino, it's a it's a three-run home run to win the game, and, and nobody sees it coming. And they've they've kind of taken off from there. The, the pitching's been okay, uh, but but they've had clutch hits. I mean, they, they've gotten out to leads and held them, or they've been able to come back. And you know, this is it's been, it's been a I mean, all things considered, with this team, I, I think you, you can't argue with the start. I mean, they, they've just they, they've had so many injuries even before the season started. You know, it, New York affects everything that happens here, and and every injury that happened up there really hurt this this roster a little bit but they've they've gotten off to a uh, off to the kind of start you you would uh you would hope they would regardless yeah it's funny because if you're a rail riders fan and you see what's happening in spring training you're uh, at the towards the end you're like oh you get very excited when you start seeing some of these guys option down because you get to watch them for a little bit longer um glaber torres being one of those guys who didn't make the the yankees final roster out of camp went down to scranton um, some would say it's service time. Some would say it was uh, maybe a slow spring, spring training, maybe all of the above. But um, Torres has been playing well. It looks like he's been hitting well and, and focusing on a couple different positions. Can you talk to us uh, first about the positions? I think that's one of the, the, the glaring things that is extremely interesting because of um, it's adding him. It's adding flexibility to, to his def- his defense. Yeah, I mean, he, he was starting the season. He was going to play a lot of short and, and, and some second. And that's changed, obviously, with what's gone on in New York. He's going to play third and second now, and you know he's. I, I think the big question with him, really moving forward, is how much longer could they let him hit here? Hey, he's he he had an opening night. He was awful. <laughs> it was it was one of the 
know, he was expanding the strike zone. He was just swinging wildly. He was 0 for 4, struck out a bunch. And last year he got off to the, you know, he got off to a slow start here and adjusted. And, and, and he adjusted like almost immediately here. He started taking the ball the other way, which is really when, when you see a, a guy at this level trying to get out of a little funk, he starts going the other way. Well, Torres did it after an 0 for 4. He, he, now he's, you know, that, that's kind of enabled him to, you know, drive the ball up the middle a little bit more. He's pulled a home run you know, early in the season, only played, you know, four. I think he's played in all five games. But, but yeah, he, he's, you know, he's hitting 348. He's, he's, he, he's been one of the – he's been arguably the best hitter on the team outside of, you know, maybe a, you know, a guy like Higashi Yoga or McBroom. Or they both got off the big starts. But clearly, Glaber is the guy you want to get off to a big start because you, you might need him. And you know, he, he's – Take it, take his 0 for four on opening night away. I, I, I think I saw that he's he's eight for uh, eight for nineteen or eight for twenty or something like that. So he's he's clearly he's clearly locked in. The weather's not affecting him. He's playing good defensively. He, you know, he's made a silly error, but he's, it's only been one silly error. And you know he he's been he, he's been as advertised so far. And 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 I think the big question is is as you go advance toward May. And if the Yankees, you know, really need a, a kickstart, which they you know, they have as of late, uh, do you, do you look at bringing up Labor Torres when when he's you know when the you know when the service time thing is no longer an issue? And and I think they will. The issue, the, the problem I would have with that is where do you where, where do you stick him? Because you know you'd almost have to play him at third. But his his, his bat really is a value more right now at shortstop. Yeah, he's an interesting player because of that flexibility and third base, like you mentioned, could be a spot that is open. But yeah, you have to play. You have to look for the spots that are available, I think, right now. Um, second base is a potential uh, third base with with Drury. We don't know how long these these uh, migraines or you know head issues are going to last. And and Anduar hasn't really hit up in the in the bigs yet. Made a made a pretty bad error last night. So I, I think they're still waiting on uh, an opportunity for Torres. My feeling is, and, and let me know if you think the same, if the Yankees organization is going to bring Glaber Torres up, they want him to play in one spot and, and stay in, in a spot, I would think, rather than pushing him around to just fill holes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's not a utility guy. They're, they're not looking at him. They're, they want him to have the versatility, but I think ultimately, long-term with him, they want him at one position. And, and it, it, third is the interesting one to me because that's the immediate need. And he, you know, there's no reason he's got the arm for it. He's got the range. He, he could do it. it. But is he ever going to hit like a third baseman? And and I and I think you look you know, look long term with him. Is he is he your shortstop of the future? Or is he your second baseman? And 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 I, I think he settles more in a second base. But right now, I, I don't think beggars could be choosers. If if you're not getting any production out of third and and Drury, I mean, he was going to be a good player. I, I really I really think that. But there's a lot of question marks with him right now. And, and could you lose a spot to a guy like Torres? Absolutely. He, he could lose that, that position, you know, especially the longer he's out. And, and, you know, you don't want to waste any bullets in triple a Torres, the, the way he's hitting the ball, he, it, these are serious. This is line drives. He's, he's driving the pitches that he, that, that he should drive to the gaps. He, you know, he, the, the home run was a, the home run he hit was, a, was on a pitch that just hung out over the plate. He destroyed it. He, he's, he's as, He's getting ready, bit you know, big league wise as a, as, as a hitter. Um, he's, I think, he's actually a little ahead offensively than he is defensively. But, but I, I, the, the way this guy competes, the talent level he has, um, I, I think that he, he's going to give the Yankees very soon a, a serious consideration here. Whether whether there's some room for him to stick at third base 
for the for the foreseeable future on this team. Sticking with some position players, uh, we have Aaron Hicks, who's been down there. He's uh, He had a, a rehab game. He was eligible to come off on Tuesday night. Looks like he may come back on Friday uh, after a couple of games with Scranton. Anything with Hicks uh, as far as uh, it looks like you went one for three, but moving moving well? I mean, is there anything uh, you're seeing him just trying to get some work in so he can get back on the roster? Yeah, always hard to tell on the on the first game because you see really great players look I mean, you saw Greg Bird a couple of years ago or right. last year look really good early and then nothing after that, after those first couple of day, games when he started playing. And then you see guys who were – I saw Magli Ordonia strike out three times here once in his first game, and then the next night he hit three doubles. So it, it, it's tough to tell. Okay, a couple of days here, and then he's going to go up. He's going to be the first – He's going to be the first guy the Yankees get back to help out there, and I and I love Hicks. I I think I've always always having back to his days in Minnesota. I, I I just think he's a really good athlete who uh, who who brings a little bit of energy, and and he and he brings something else that you know, that the Yankees really need right now, and that's a, a center fielder who could who could hit a little bit. I mean, no offense to Gardner, but you want him in left where he's where he's really outstanding defensively, and you want to put. You want to get uh, you want to get Stanton back in the DH role, so so I think adding Hicks will be big for the Yankees, and that that's going to happen soon, unless something crazy happens tonight. But I don't expect it will. So we've been we've been waiting for the uh, the return to baseball for Clint Frazier for quite some time. Ever since he um, you know hit his head against the wall in spring training, we really haven't seen him in in what six plus weeks. Um, it just seems like uh, the the concussion injury. And symptoms have lingered on and on. Uh, he did a sim game. I, the assumption is that he's going to be uh, sent to Scranton to AAA. Are you hearing anything uh, locally down there on when to expect him and, and kind of what his status is at this point? With the concussions, it's it's always difficult to to, to gauge. I mean, I, I've heard I've heard that he hasn't been cleared yet, but he's been ta- he's been doing some some kind of drill work in the outfield. They've been getting him under the lights. Um, it, it's different in every sport. And I, and I think the, the thing you hear, I cover football a lot. Um, when, when they get the concussion, the, the, the real important thing is to just not do anything and, and, and just kind of not push it and, and, and sit around and, and do what you can do. That's not going to affect you. And then get back out there when the headaches are gone, the double vision's gone and you, and, and it's been gone for a while. And, I, and, and the, the good thing for Frazier here is I, I think the Yankees felt they could afford to take it really slow with him. But that's the the thing for you know for the rail riders and for Frazier that's uh that's a little frustrating is that they've taken it really slow and you know he's he's going to get back out there when they when they clear him but he didn't go through spring training he's going to be in Tampa for two three weeks trying to get the swing back and I I wouldn't expect him back with the rail riders at, you know you know third fourth week in May I mean that's just I haven't heard anything official on that but but everything you you cut you're kind of told everything you're kind of hear and read and you put it all together and. You know, it's it's going to be a while yet for him, and you wonder how that that affects him because you know Frazier, he's a guy that loves being in the lineup, loves loves being out there, and uh, he he needs his reps, so he he's probably itching to get out. You know, it's this kid is uh, has been just one storyline after another. It seems like since he's been back, uh, whether it's warranted or not, but um, he's the the tumultuous start in the with the Yankees just is crazy to me when you look at. You know how how short of a time he's been around, but how many things have happened with him, and and even right now with the Yankees so beaten up and battered in their uh, on their roster, I mean this was an, a, a golden opportunity for him if you were healthy to be in the Bronx and contributing pretty much on an everyday level at this point. So, you know I don't know if uh, if that's something that he's going to have to, you know, just mentally adjust to and make sure he he doesn't rush back because. 
um, like you said, those those concussion injuries, you just don't know what what can come. And uh, you know, if, if the symptoms have been gone for a while, you just hope that they don't return. Yeah, I'm sure it's uh, I'm sure it's a challenge because. I, I've seen guys who've been, you know, play play here injured, but but they're going well, and they feel like they're that, you know, those, you know, that one injury away from getting called up, and then then they get called up, and then all of a sudden you see they're on the big league DL. So yeah. so you you don't want to end up you don't want to end up doing that, and I'm, I'm sure the Yankees don't want that to happen. But I'm but I'm also sure Frazier looks around and uh and, and sees oh Ellsbury got hurt, Hicks is out, and they're calling up Shane Robinson and Jace Peterson, and mm-hmm. certainly if, if a healthy Clint Frazier would be on the on the big league roster right now, so I'm I'm sure he's got to kind of have people around him who are preaching the patience and and telling them to uh, you know telling him kind of to, to to monitor this the way he needs to monitor it, and you know concussions aren't anything to fool around with, but there are days you feel good enough to get out there. So it's it's it, it, it's got to be difficult for him, especially someone like him who who kind of is impetuous and, and kind of tries to you know, kind of does some things aggressively, and you know you, you don't want him to do this aggressively. It, it, it's it's going to be a it's up to the trainers, the coaches down there to to kind of keep him in line. So obviously, the outfield starting the season was one of the the very strong, uh, deepest parts of this Yankees roster, uh, even going down into AAA. And now, because it's a, even with Billy McKinney, like you said. You know, you don't want to see someone go on the DL right when they get called up. And unfortunately, that's what happened with Billy McKinney. Um, I know we were very excited to see him just because he's, uh, it seems like he, he had turned that corner. He's fully healthy and, and he was ready to go. Um, who else is there in, in AAA right now that, that you could see uh, that, that's not, you know, that's not of the, the guys that have been called up that might be able to contribute in the outfield if this depth um, stays thin because you don't know how Aaron Hicks is going to come back. He he has a history of injury. Hopefully he does come back and, and doesn't re-aggravate anything. Ellsbury is not really ready anytime soon. The Yankees might have to dip back down into Scranton for another outfielder. Uh, I mean, do you want the honest answer? It, the yeah. answer is nobody. Yeah. I mean, the, the Zach Zaner is off to a good start. And you want Zach Zaner? I mean, that, that's the that's what you're looking at. I mean, he's a good player, but. He's really the the true outfielder on this on this roster now. I mean, Rashad Crawford isn't much of a hitter. He's he's going to play a little bit now. Uh, the guy they have out there, you know, Cody Ashy could be. He's probably the guy they would call up. He, he's he's played some outfield, but he's more you know he's more of a DH third baseman kind of kind of player. He's not going to hit very much in the big leagues. Never has. Um, Billy Fleming could play a little bit of outfield. The guy there, the guy there, that gets looked really good offensively. Um, who has, you know, kind of, you know, he's a toss-up defensively is, is Ryan McBroom, uh, but you know, he's more of a first baseman. They've been trying him in right field, and and I loved uh, <laughs> Bobby Mitchell had a great quote on McBroom playing the outfield. He had never he had played first base in Trenton last year with Mitchell, and then went to the. Uh, you know, played in played winter ball and, and and tried some in the outfield. Played twenty games or so, and and Mitchell said, "Well, he was okay out there. He was he was surprisingly good." And, and I'm not <laughs> sure that was a total compliment or not, but he's been okay. Do you want him out in, in right field in Yankee Stadium? I, I I don't know. So I I think right now, and I, and I said this to one of my colleagues yesterday. I said Hicks better stay healthy because there's really I I don't know where they go if Hicks has to go back on the DL or if. Or if God forbid, Judge got hurt, or or, or something like that. I I don't know where they turn. I, I I would what what I would do if I'm Aaron Boone or Brian Cashman is is, is just throw Tyler Wade out there. I think he could mm-hmm. do it. 
But you know, and then then that opens up your spot for for Glaber. But they don't want to do that right now because it's too early. So it's a uh, it's good. <laughs> it, you know, they, they cannot uh, they cannot afford another outfield injury because really, you know, you're looking at the forty man. You're looking at Floreal and, and guys like it, guys that you don't want to bring up. And 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 yeah, and on the AAA roster right now, you're looking at Zach Zaner and Ryan McBroom, and and that's not me being you know pessimistic about it from a Yankee standpoint. That's just the facts. You just never. It's funny because when you look at the depth chart, uh, I, I didn't think those names would ever be brought up, especially this early in this season. I mean, I know ha- what happened last year, and there were uh, a number of, of outfielders that had that had come up and got their um, their major league debuts with the Yankees because of injuries. But when you're going back down to the uh, the McBrooms and uh, the Zaners, that's uh, that's going down there as far as the depth. Let's uh, let's switch to pitching. Uh, Champs Adams, his first start got roughed up. I know a lot of people watching the Yankees are. are are anxious to see uh, him get a call up at some point. I've heard so many different things about him, whether the Yankees long-term see him as a, a starter or a reliever. Um, what did you see there uh, with Champs Adams? Uh, is he is he progressing like they want him to? He's, to me, one of the most interesting cases I've ever covered. And I've been covering this, this franchise off and on uh, as a beat writer, a columnist, whatever, since 2000. Adams straight up one of the the craziest cases i've ever seen because you look at his you look at his baseball america scouting report and it says 93 to 95 or whatever it said last year and and you have you have scouts saying he was 93 to 95 and then you're you're sitting there in the ballpark watching chance adams pitch and he's 91 and you're wondering where where is all this coming from you see people on twitter saying oh you should call up adams look at his numbers or you know he's he's big league ready and and i don't i'm not sure not so sure that was fair to the guy because well, he he had he had some velocity issues down the stretch last year. His his changeup, quite frankly, I, I don't think is something he really wants to throw in a game right now. Um, his his curveball looks okay sometimes, and other times it, it looks high schoolish. His slider, I, I see, I, I I like his slider. I, I think his slider is going to be a, a a good big league pitch. But he's got to get one of those other two breaking. He's got to get the the curveball down to to a point where he could use it or it, but what really the Yankees want is that change up to develop because you know the, the the slider when it's right is is a hard hard breaking slider so that they they want him to be a starter they they think they could they could mix that curveball in they think he could be a four pitch guy but his scouting report has not matched what I've seen here on, on the mound from him but that said you know it, that's just a scouting report is that is that Adams's fault I mean he was also going through uh, reportedly, which you know, <laughs> this is from this is from Tommy Phelps, the pitching coach here. He was he was going through some some bone spur is- issues with his elbow that he that he had to get fixed. Um, Chance didn't want to talk about that. Uh, he, he's that kind of competitor. I, I, I think you look at the one thing I, I love about Adams is, is competitiveness. He goes out there and he's he's going to fight you every step of the way. But his stuff at, for, at times has not been what. It's it's been advertised to be, and 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 I and I was kind of surprised because we reported on it last year. I was kind of surprised that so many people were in awe about how how, how down the stuff was in the spring because it really wasn't down from what we saw last year. Um, so Adams Adams I think has a lot to prove, but in the and the Yankees have a decision: do you want to just go fastball slider and put him in the bullpen, or do you want do you want to try to develop those other pitches and make him a starter? I, I, to me, I see him more as a starter, but he just needs more time. So it's it's a matter of is he going to get the patience he he needs and deserves to kind of 
develop into the starting pitcher they think he could be. And I think when you look at the depth and you look at the system for the Yankees, you know, starting pitching is the clear area where they need more guys, and they need they need uh, guys in AAA who can step up and and make spot starts if they need to. Uh, you know, we've had we've seen Lu- Luis Sessa time and time again, and while I think he has good stuff, he just doesn't seem like he uh, he could he's put it together for an extended period of time, or even uh, second and third time through a rotation. It seems like is is when he uh, starts running into problems, but. Chance Adams. I mean, the one thing you're saying he's trying to develop this um, uh, this changeup, and we actually did have him on the show uh, last year, so uh, we know how, uh, how how focused he is and doesn't really like to uh, to admit to anything as far as um, you know things that are not working well. He's he's definitely a competitor. It doesn't seem like much bothers him. Um, but his location, uh, that's one of the whispers I've been hearing is the, the location. The Yankees are are really not happy with the um, you know the amount of strikes that he's throwing. Yeah, he's, he works behind the count a lot. We saw that last year, too. And, you know, he, his command is 50-50 at best. I mean, he yeah. with his fa- – there was there was a, the first time we saw him start here last year. It was in May. It was at the end of May. And I forget who they played, but it was one of those early morning games. It was a 10-30 Right, I remember that game, yeah. For the kids. And nobody in the world was going to hit Adams that day. He was 93 to 96. I mean, everything was moving around with it. His fastball had, had great life. His slider was unhittable. He, he, he you know, we, we heard about this change up that he isn't, that, that he isn't throwing very well, but he threw a couple of good ones that day. His curveball was great. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, hey, you're going to see this guy in the big leagues in a month. And it just, he, he was, he, he never saw that pitcher again. So it, it's, yeah, it, it's, Different and, and part of the reason for that is because of the the command of the fastball. He just he just doesn't throw it all the time where you want to throw it. And he, he gave up a home run in the in the in the first start. I mean, his first start. I mean, he was it was what was it seven hits, five runs, and three and two thirds innings. Uh, he started on opening night, and you look at it, and the numbers are bad. But really, they only hit two balls hard, and uh, one of them didn't really result in any runs. But one of them was a home run. And uh, it was a it was a it was a slider that he hung, and he basically said after the game, you know, I, I really wanted, I really should have spiked it, but I wanted to throw it for a strike. So it really wasn't a location issue; it was just a, a bad idea. Were you surprised when uh, the Yankees optioned Justice Sheffield to to Double A and and didn't start out in Scranton? Because that was when I saw the when I saw that he was going to Double A was. I'm not saying it was a big shock, but I was a little surprised. I thought they were going to start him in Scranton. Yeah, I want to. I want to say I thought it was better than the coin flip he'd start here, because you usually see how many starts they get the season before at, at a certain level, and I, and I thought he he had started enough there that they might give him a shot here. But clearly, he has some control issues to work on as well. But but uh, you know. Sometimes it sometimes it benefits it benefits you to, to not jump that that young pitcher up a level when when you think that you know you give him something to think about <laughs> and, and I and I and I really believe that the Yankees you know the same thing with Adams but you know work on that command go down go go back down there and show us you could do it again and I think that's sometimes challenges a pitcher to get that it, it, it's not a demotion but it's not a promotion kind of thing and you know I, I think I think they want to see better out of Sheffield. Than uh, command wise, and they saw at the end of last year, and certainly better than what they saw in the beginning of the, in, in that first start. Even though you know the weather probably becomes a factor in that. You know, he's an interesting guy. I, I do think the Yankees are 
are treating him a, a certain way. It seems like he also has a very good relationship with, uh, with CC Sabathia. I know when they were in Tampa, um, they, they would hang out. And I think that's a perfect guy to, to be a, a mentor type person, lefty, you know, obviously with the, the, as much success as Sabathia has, and really has had two different careers as far as a, you know, an overpowering guy. And then one that's had to reinvent himself as a, as a guy who could nip the corner. So I think that's a really, really good person for um, justice to, to get to know because, uh, you know, obviously that can extend himself into uh, into a major league career, I think, a lot easier. Yeah, CC is a guy that uh, a lot of young pitchers would be well served to get to know. I mean, same thing with Chance. He probably, you know, they're, you know it's a it's a deal where CC is a totally, you mentioned a totally different pitcher than he was now, but he, now he's more of a, a pitcher. Mm-hmm. Now, now he, he's got to have that change up work and he's got, he's got to be able to hit corners and, and that's going to be Sheffield's not going to throw 93, 94 forever. He's, the body style is not there. It's not a, you know, that's what you're throwing now. But when, when you're 30 and you want to, you still want to have a career, you better learn how to, to how to pitch a little bit and, and, and be a professional about it. And, and, and I think that's kind of where CC could be a great example for, for every young pitcher, not just Sheffield, but, but it works for Sheffield because Kind of the same arsenal. I mean, you know, the fastball. You, know, you want you, want, you change ups. You know, it's something that he's got to work on getting down slider. It's you know thing, things like that that, that. that CC is kind of used to uh, to build his career and then reinvent his career are the kind of things he's probably going to have to rely on too. Because because most most left handed pitchers, especially you know smaller guys like like uh, like Sheffield, you, know, you, you where you wonder could he could he maintain that velocity over a really long stretch and a big league career, um, you know, they're going to have to reinvent themselves at some point. And, and, and CC is a, is a great example of someone who was able to do that and, and, and have a lot of success with it. So before we get, uh, before we get out of here, Donnie, I want to, to talk about, you guys have a new skipper, uh, Al, Al Padrique moved on, got a, a major league job as a, as a coach. And now Bobby Mitchell got promoted up from managing Trenton. So What's the uh, what's the clubhouse like, and what's, what are the differences you're you're seeing between Mitchell and then uh, the old regime with Pedrique? Yeah, I don't know if there's much of a difference, honestly. I mean, it, Al was kind of a you know, they they say player manager and you know you know whatever, and I, I think Mitchell is kind of seen as a as a player's manager. He he, he they're both really aggressive. I, I think they're both kind of managing style wise on the field. Uh, more National League guys. I mean, they they like to move the runners a lot. They, they they'll they'll sacrifice if they have to, and you know they'll do things like that. They they, they want they want to be aggressive out there. But um, in the in the clubhouse, I, I've seen a, a lot of similarities. I, I mean, Al, a lot of the players called Al a players manager. I mean, yeah. Dave Miley was probably you know more than anything kind of a you know he'll step on your throat when he needs to step on your throat kind of guy, but he stayed in the background. Al was you know an everyday kind of you know, he, uh, presence where, you know, the, the players really got behind him and, 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 and enjoyed being a, you know, you know, he made it more fun for the players. I, I think Mitchell's kind of, I mean, just in the early going, he seemed, he seems like that kind of guy. A lot of these guys knew him from Trenton. It's, it's, it's a familiar face for them. Um, but I mean, this is, you, you rarely, I mean, and, and I mean, in the last, you know, since I started covering this franchise, you rarely see a total overhaul of the of the coaching staff. It's, it, it's, it's, it's incredible what's happened you know, where you have a new manager, a new hitting coach, you know, it, you know, different, you know, defensive coach, Travis Chapman. in. It, it, it's a, it's a whole new look to this, to this coaching staff, but it's still the same feeling in the clubhouse. They're loose guys. 
they know, you know, they're competitive on their own. They, they want to win the games. It's not just about development. It's about winning for, for a lot of these guys. And, and, and Mitchell has to kind of walk that tightrope with them and make sure that they're doing what they need to do to help themselves also. And, 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 and he did a good job with that last year, and I expect he'll, he'll continue to do a good job with it this year. But I, really, I think it always comes down to the attitude of the players. To how, how bad do you want it? How bad do you, how bad do you want it for yourself and for your team? And that's when you see guys who are developing while they, uh, you know, while they work toward a, an international league championship. And, and, and these guys have the, have the basis for that so far. And, and Mitchell's, Mitchell's going to be a big part of that. When Padrique, Padrique obviously is now with uh, with Oakland as a first base coach, do you think one of the reasons or, or that led to him leaving uh, was was that the Yankees really didn't give him uh, much consideration for manager? And were you surprised that they didn't? Um, I'm not surprised they didn't. Uh, they they you know they, they very very infrequently do, do you bring up your third your up. Uh, triple a manager to manage the big league club I mean that 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 hardly ever happens and it, it only ever happens with teams that that really aren't competitive i mean braves did it a couple of years ago with snitker but i i i'm struggling to think of any more recent ones than that but um i'm surprised they didn't it's surprised a strong word but i i i think he left because he didn't get a shot to be on the staff right uh yeah that's that's the you know they wanted a, a different kind of coaching staff this year some outside outside looks uh you know and i can't complain about any of the guys they they brought up i mean i i knew phil nevin when he when he managed in toledo uh you know reggie willits is a good guy i mean it, those are the those are the positions where you would want a guy like al patrique and and al is a you know he, he's 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 managed a lot of these guys in the past but you know it is it, does he have the same philosophy that boone has that 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 the, the, these guys who who Boone knows and trust have, I I I don't know that that's the case. I I don't know if he's the metrics guy that that these other guys are. So so I I don't know if it was a fit there. But interestingly enough, I mean, we always talked about oh does does Al is Al enough of a metrics guy to go to a, a coaching staff that's that's kind of going to lean on some of that? Sure. And then he ends up in Oakland. Right. So I mean, so you you wonder what the you know, you you wonder what it really was, but I I think sometimes it's just comfort. You know, the the fit. It, it's always the fit. Does does this does this guy know the new manager well enough to be on the staff? It, 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 it there's got to be a trust. There's got to be a comfort level. And I'm not sure Al Padrique had that with with Aaron Boone or there are the guys in the and and the big league coaching staff. I mean, he coached with some of them, Marcus Timms and and uh, PJ Pilateri, but but not all. And and it's you know. It, it's tough. He basically what, ha- what ended up happening with him was he, he got the, the the first big league offer he got he took, and he, he should have. So that that that's the goal for him too to get to the big leagues and, and he did it and he's and he's a terrific manager and he's going to be a really great coach. But I mean to sit here and say I'm, I'm shocked that he didn't get a look with the Yankees. I'm not. I mean because that just doesn't always work out that way. Yeah, and it's interesting that he he goes to Oakland, like you were talking about the uh, Billy Bean uh, and, and the metrics. If he wasn't that type of guy, but you know he's he's seeing some familiar faces over there. With uh, he's got Mateo Caprillion, Fowler. He's got some Yankees over in there. And I thought that was one of the big reasons why that you know he would get a serious look for the coaching staff because of his familiarity uh, familiarity with a lot of the guys that are currently on the major league roster. Um, but but at the same time, you also I think get that with Marcus Timms as well, who's worked with you know. 
predominantly the, the majority of the guys who have come up through the system as a as a hitting coach. So there is that familiarity um, now on the major league level. But Patrique is a, definitely a good one. Yeah, he was, and you know, don't forget PJ Pilateri too. He was he was the hitting coach here that succeeded Marcus Timms, and right. you know, he he's been he's been with these guys for a couple of years now. A lot a lot of the the younger guys. He, he worked with Judge a lot. Um, these are guys who. Who, who really like him. And sometimes, I mean, you, you do this not for the manager, but for the players. And you, and you look at a guy like Judge. I mean, I remember years ago, uh, Gary Denbo got a job as a hitting coach because he worked well with Jeter. I mean, they, they, that, was a, that was a Jeter push to, to, to get Denbo to, onto the big league staff, and, and he got him there. So I'm not saying that's what happened here, but I, I think sometimes you, you, you look at it and say, who, who, was, who are the guys that have really helped our players most along the way. And, and sometimes I, I think it's a good lesson too. You know, these guys, a lot of these guys came up through the system, but not necessarily in coaching roles on teams or, you know, Will Willits was an instructor. I, they, these guys are, are guys who know these players pretty well. They just were behind the scenes guys and, in Tampa that weren't, you know, getting their names announced before minor league games every night. Donnie, really appreciate you coming on and, uh, and giving us the uh, the whole landscape of what's going on in Scranton and, and in the minor leagues, and we'll definitely be uh, be talking with you throughout the season. If you're if you're trying to find Donnie on Twitter, you can find him at Donnie Collins TT. Again, Donnie, thanks uh, again. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.